What's up, coaches? Thank you for tuning in to episode number 43 of Keep Your Pads Down, the podcast for the men in the trenches. Speaking of men in the trenches, whether you are a fan of LSU or not, all of us D-line guys should be proud of what Ed Orgeron, who is, of course, a D-line guy at heart, what he's done with the Tigers, who won a national championship in convincing fashion last week. So congratulations to the Tigers and Coach Orgeron, who, of course, always has an open invitation to come on the show here and, and talk about whatever he wants to talk about. Shade noses, splitting double teams, Red Bull, Boudin, whatever. But uh, but anyway, congratulations to those guys. And, and as Coach O always says, go Tigers! Coach O wasn't the only LSU coach to be in the headlines the past few days, as it was also a big week for Coach Dave Aranda, who was, of course, the defensive coordinator for the Tigers this past season and also a D-line coach during his career. Uh, he is going to Waco to take over the Baylor program, so congratulations to him. And as a Texas high school football coach, I- I'm excited to have him in our state and relatively close by and, and looking forward to uh, to seeing his defense in action down here in Big 12 country. I've actually had the, the, the pleasure of hearing Coach Aranda speak at the Lone Star Clinic a few years ago, and he did a really great job. Very, very intelligent, very cerebral coach, uh, and obviously the play of his defense speaks for itself. Um, I actually do have a cool story uh, uh, about Coach Aranda. I think it was about, uh, I think it was 2009, summer of 2009. My, my father-in-law and, and, and stepmother-in-law uh, used to live in Hawaii, and my wife and I went out there to visit them one, one week during the summer. And uh, I, I was just kind of scrolling around on the Internet and looked up the University of Hawaii's um, coaching staff and, and saw um, just scrolling through and saw that Coach Aranda was there. He was the defensive line coach at the time, I believe and saw that he had coached at Delta State there in Cleveland, Mississippi, a little Division II school there in, in, in Cleveland, Mississippi. And at the time, I was a high school coach in Mississippi. So I thought, oh, that's, that's cool. So anyway, I, I, he had his number listed, and so uh, I called him, and uh, he answered and just told him who I was and, and told him that I, I would love to come by and, and talk some football with him while I was in town uh, on vacation. And so he obliged and, and went over there one afternoon, and ended up spending about three hours with him, and uh, just talking defensive line play, talking football, uh, and, and it was it was a lot of fun and something I'll always remember. And and you know, that's just always stuck out to me because he didn't know he didn't know me from Adam, and I had nothing to offer him as as a high school coach, uh, and and he didn't have to do that. He could have blown me off. He could have you know said he was busy, and uh, but he didn't. He took some time out of his out of his day, and and and. Uh, I really appreciated it, and it always it always stuck out to me. So I'll always be a Coach Aranda fan. So uh, good luck to him and the Baylor Bears this next season, and I'll be looking forward to uh, to watching watching those guys in action. Speaking of coaches who are very gracious with their time and passionate about the game of football, let's talk about today's guest, shall we? I am honored to welcome to the podcast today Stephen F. Austin, defensive ends coach, Cade Foskey. Coach Foskey is from Amarillo, Texas, and played high school ball at Bushland High School and graduated from West Texas A&M University, where he got to start as a student coach under Coach Don Carthel and current Stephen F. Austin head coach Colby Carthel. While at WT, Coach Foskey helped guide the Buffaloes to the Division II National Semifinals in 2012 and the National Quarterfinals in 2013. In 2015, Coach Foskey left West Texas A&M to join the staff at North Texas, where he remained for a semester before rejoining Coach Colby Carthel at Texas A&M Commerce, where Coach Foskey served as the D-line coach for the Lions. 
While at Commerce, Coach Foskey's defensive line units were some of the best in the country in recording sacks and tackles for loss and in rush defense. The Lions averaged 32 sacks per season during Foskey's tenure in Commerce and ranked among the top 20 in the nation in both 2017 and 2018. In 2017, Coach Foskey helped guide the Lions to a Division II National Championship. During the National Championship season, Coach Foskey's defensive line was one of the top units in the country. AM Commerce owned the best pass defense in the Lone Star Conference and the second best rush defense, while ranking 26th nationally and tops in the league in total defense. In December of 2018, Coach Foskey again followed Coach Carthel to Nacogdoches, Texas, where he just wrapped up his first season as the defensive ends coach for the Lumberjacks. Coach Foskey is a 2020 AFCA 35 under 35 recipient and a rising star in our profession. And today we talk about how he develops pass rushers and how the Lumberjacks use their twists and movements to combat the run game and affect the quarterback. All of that and a whole lot more on today's episode of KYPD. Bosky, welcome to the podcast. I've been wanting to get you on here for a while, so I'm glad we're finally going to make it happen. Yeah, I'm glad to, glad to be on here. Appreciate it. Coach, you just finished up uh, your first year as a defensive ends coach over there at Stephen F. Austin, and we're going to talk more about that here in a bit. But first, tell us how a guy from a tiny town up in the Texas Panhandle found his way to Nacogdoches, Texas in the first place. Oh, geez. Well, uh, you know, kind of how I got to NAC, you know, to SFA and everything was, you know, I, I grew up in Amarillo, Texas. I, I went out to Bushland High School as a little 2A high school back when I was playing football and everything. They're 4A now and uh, played out there and, you know, went to state my junior year out there and, you know, did golf, track and football and everything. And, you know, after football was over with, I ended up signing with a first year program, uh, Wayland Baptist out in Plainview, Texas. And I was there for one semester, decided it wasn't the place for me. And, you know, I transferred to West Texas A&M, which was, you know, 10 miles away outside of my hometown and a place that, you know, I should have went to from the get go and everything. But Wayland Baptist said, give me more scholarship money. And I felt like, you know, that's where I would make a bigger impact and you know i kind of learned my lesson on you know don't go somewhere where you know where more money is go where where your heart wants to be and where you're meant to be and you know wt is the place where i was meant to be in the long run and and i ended up going to wt and i played for a short stint until i had to you know give up playing due to some health issues and everything and it was a sad deal i hated not you know getting to play all four years of my college career but i kind of see it as a blessing now you know, towards, you know, towards the end of my career and everything, you know, I, I kind of see, you know, getting into coaching early was a huge blessing. It has helped me out tremendously from a networking, from a learning and just a coaching standpoint, you know, yeah, I, and, you know, I only got to play one year of college football, but I got to, you know, get a head start from everybody else three years early, you know, into my coaching career. And, you know, I was blessed to, you know, asked to be coached, you know, by our head coach, Don Carthel, and our defensive coordinator there, Colby Carthel. They both saw potential in me as a as a football coach, and, you know, they knew I wanted to be that. I was in Colby's class, you know, for coaching, and they, you know, after I was done playing and I couldn't play anymore, they asked me, hey, how would you like to, you know, help out here at WT and be, in a, be a student assistant and kind of grow from there? And, you know, I jumped on the opportunity at that time. I just wanted to be a high school football coach and, you know, after doing that, 
first year with Colby and Don, I was sold in on being a college football coach. I love the recruiting aspect of things, working with college athletes. And that first year just opened my eyes up and, and I saw this was something I, I want to do. I want to, I want to chase this dream of, you know, coaching college football. And, you know, that's kind of what's led me to here. You know, I was at WT from 2012 to 2014 and that first year of getting to coach football, you know, I'm still an undergrad student that some of the guys I'm coaching are the same age as me or older than me. Coach Carthel kind of, you know, gave me the keys to, you know, getting to be hands-on with the guys and coach them and talk about technique and everything. And, you know, and I, I ran with it and, and I took the most of that opportunity and coached a lot of really good players there at WT that first year. We, we went to the semifinals and, you know, we, we had we had a good enough team where we should have maybe made it to the national championship, but we kind of shot ourselves on the foot against Winston Salem State, and then the next year we were loaded up with the same team. We only had lost a couple seniors from the year before in thirteen, and uh, you know we we lost in the quarterfinals to Grand Valley State, and our offense was the most prolific offense in America that year. We were averaging like. 57 points per game our quarterback Dustin Vaughn who works for us here at SFA now he threw for 5,500 yards and like 60 touchdowns he was unbelievable that year and our defense was really good you know there's a guy I had the opportunity to coach Ethan Westbrooks who is uh he was he's been playing in the NFL he this past season he got cut right during training camp with the Raiders everybody's seen him on hard knocks and everything and we had him in 2012 and 2013 and he was first team all American national defense player of the year. And he had 20 and a half sacks his very first season. He was a monster. He was a huge reason why we went to the semifinals. Then the next year he had nine and a half on the year. So it was, it was good getting to be around him and getting to coach him and be hands on with him. And, you know, I learned a lot from Ethan. He learned a little bit from me. And I mean, his talent was pretty good. I mean, he didn't need much coaching. He could <laughs> get by a lot of those guys just with his pure athleticism. He was a freaking athlete, but, uh, you know, after WT, I finished there in 2014. I ended up going to uh, UNT. It was the end of November is when I left West Texas A&M, and I, I took off to go to North Texas. I had an opportunity to coach there. It was a volunteer position when I first started out there, and they said it turned into a defensive graduate assistant position. And, you know, there was, I had a couple job offers, you know, with some money at some Division twos, but I wanted to make that jump to the Division One level. And, you know, kind of get around a new staff and, you know, kind of branch out from a networking standpoint and learn from some new people and everything. And I was there from December till the end of uh, February. And it was it was a great experience. I got to, you know, be there for the recruiting process and see how the recruiting process is at the Division One level. And then from the coaching standpoint, learning from different people, I was blessed to work with uh, Kevin Patrick. He's He's been at NC State the last couple of years, and now he's at Florida Atlantic as a defensive line coach, and I had a great opportunity to learn from him and work with him, and he you know, really helped my career out a lot and helped me out from a coaching standpoint on seeing things in a different way and, and learning different techniques on how to teach defensive linemen, you know, all sorts of from the run game to the pass rush, and he was extremely influential and you know, how the coach that I am today and what I teach my guys and what I go off of is a lot of stuff that KP had taught me during my time at UNT. But, uh, you know, after that short stint at UNT in, what was it, March of 2015, Coach Carthel Colby had called me and offered me the defensive line job at Commerce. 
and it, it was a chance to you know coach my own my own guys that be in my own room and and it was a big opportunity and it was in a place where Colby had really built a powerhouse in a short amount of time and I was excited to get to work with Colby again he's been my number one mentor you know in my whole coaching career and I enjoyed working for him and my wife and his wife get along really well and are really close friends and I jumped on the opportunity to get to coach with Colby again and I knew what they had accomplished was special and I wanted to be a part of that and so I jumped at the opportunity to be the defensive line coach there and I was there from 2015 to you know what was it uh December of 2018 and I was there for four great years my wife and I really enjoyed it there in commerce and you know we had a baby girl while we were there in March of uh 2008 or March of 2017 sorry and uh you know was really blessed to coach a lot of really good players there at commerce and they changed my life and I hope I made a great impact on theirs and you know, we were fortunate to win the national championship there in 2017. And we had a lot of really hard, hard-nosed disciplined players that loved playing the game and loved playing with each other. And, and you know, we were we won the national championship against West Florida in 2017. And it was a fun ride. We made the playoffs every year. I was there at Commerce. And, you know, we, we did a good job there. And we, we had a lot of really good players. And we worked our tails off. And, we took pride in outworking everybody in our conference and everybody in the country on, you know, getting kids developed and recruiting them and just building them up as men and growing their faith through God and everything. And that was something that's always been a big part for me, you know, is seeing what we did there, the impact that we made on the town, on the community, on the university, because I mean, before even when Colby got there, the, the place was not, where it needed to be commerce was in kind of a dump for the most part and people agree with you there there wasn't a lot of you know life in the town and you know when colby came in there in 2013 everything changed i mean the whole the whole life of the town just sparked i mean people are having pride in the university and and people cared about going to the games again they were winning football games which was a you know east texas state was a traditional powerhouse back in the 80s and 90s right and even earlier than that and and Colby brought that back and you know I was extremely blessed to be a part of you know those last four years there where we had the most success in school history well those last four years that we were there and and it was a lot of fun and you know I enjoyed coaching there and I miss a lot of those guys and I still keep up with them and they they had a great run this year going to the quarterfinals and and everything you know and and I'm excited to see what they keep doing coach Bailiff and the whole crew over there have done a good job and I'm excited to see what they do this next year. And, but, uh, you know, after after uh, 2018 season, Coach Carthel got the opportunity to come here to SFA as the head coach, and he asked me to come along and coach the defensive ends, and I jumped on the opportunity immediately just because I knew the potential that SFA has had. It's always been a program I've always kind of been eyeing on, you know, my whole career just with East Texas and the town of Nacogdoches and just where – you know, the location is the biggest key of it all. I mean, you're so close to Louisiana. You're an hour and a half away to where you can drive over there and find some athletes. I mean, you're in East Texas already. There's athletes all over the place. You can drive to Houston two hours and find some more athletes. Dallas is three hours away. You know, Central Texas is about four. You know, the thing about your location is is great here at SFA, yeah. and that's why yeah. I know you can recruit to SFA. And it's a tra- traditionally you know, strong program as well. I know the last couple of years they haven't 
been very strong, but I know the potential that it has in this league and in the state of Texas, and especially with our staff, I know what we've done in the past working together. I know we can build this place into something special. And, you know, this year, this first year was a challenging year for us. And, you know, we, we had a lot of off schools, you know, to overcome and everything, but we played a lot of freshmen this year and we had, you know, about 20 cent, you know, 20 season ending injuries. And, you know, we adversity came and hit us in the mouth, but we fought it back. And I mean, we lost nine games this year and seven of the nine, we, we had the lead in the fourth quarter at some point, and then we would, wow. you know, shoot ourselves in the foot and we'd lose it. But, hey, when you're playing, you know, 40 freshmen, that's going to happen to you. And the 40 freshmen we're playing right now are really good. I mean, the, the future is bright for SFA, and that's what I'm super excited about. We've got a great group of kids that are working their tail off, and they're getting the job done. And I, I'm excited to see what they do whenever a year from now whenever they're sophomores going against those guys or whenever they're juniors two years from now, I think it's going to be a lot different outcomes than what it was this year. But same time, we've got to be on our P's and Q's and we've got to be continuing to work hard and developing these guys from a physical and mental standpoint. And they've got to be taking care of their academics and living right. I mean, that's the biggest thing. I mean, we can say we're going to be really talented in two years, but we still got to put the work into it and keep going and you know searching for that goal and reaching that goal of winning a Southland Conference championship and then maybe more who knows you know I looking back on your career up to this point it's hard to imagine that there's you know many coaches out there who've experienced as much success this early on in their careers as you have I mean if you going back even your days as a student coach at West Texas and the success you had there then moving on to commerce and 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 being in the playoffs every year which is a really difficult thing on the division two level and then winning a national championship and then now getting the job at SFA which you've you know as you mentioned is a great school there in the Southland Conference this is the time of year when a lot of guys are starting to look around and they're, they're you know, they're peeking over the fence at other places and, and thinking about making the jump. So what advice would you give to guys looking to make a move this offseason? Like what are the things they should be looking for in a program, coaching staff, as you mentioned, Nacogdoches mm-hmm. being in a great location? Well, all those things, what, what should they be looking for and what advice would you give those guys looking to make a move? You know, one, one thing, you know, that – I always like to tell the young coaches and everything like that. And I've had a lot of coaches tell it to me because, I mean, I think that's every coach in America right now. Everybody's checking the football scoop constantly, trying to see what jobs are coming open. And they're thinking in their head, man, do I have a shot at that job? Who do I know that can help get me on there? And, you know, one thing, our director of football operations here, Tomas Rodriguez, he says it all the time. And he's he always talks about be where your feet are. And that, that's the one thing coaches got to understand is, I mean, if you're thinking so much about all these other jobs, you're not doing your job that you're presently in right now. And that's the most important thing. The job that you're doing right now here at SFA, if you're busting your tail and you're doing a great job, it's going to lead to bigger and better things. You're either going to move up in the ladder here at SFA or you're going to somebody's going to call about you and Coach Carthel's going to heavily promote you and you're going to get a job somewhere else because of the job you did here. If you're, you know, the term half-assing here at SFA because you're, you know, busy looking at other schools and you're trying to get other jobs. I mean, nobody's going to give you a recommendation if you're doing work like that, you know, and that's kind of the, what I always had to tell myself at times too, because you be looking at the football scoop and everything and, and you're thinking, Oh man, there's this job. There's this job. No, you need to be where your feet are. You need to be working your tail off here at SFA, trying to find more student athletes that can help us win football games here. And that could be a, you know, a great student athlete here at SFA helping out 
with their academics, making sure they're getting that degree, helping these younger coaches develop as a coach and teaching them the game, developing them to become a great football coach someday. It just, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, what kind of my tips to everybody on that is, you know, find a place where you can truly thrive at from a responsibility standpoint, where you can truly learn from the best and kind of in the best place to make an impact. I mean, if you're getting into a, a job where you've got a lot of responsibility, I think that's the best spot for you to go because people are depending on you. It makes you work harder. It makes you take pride in the work that you're doing. And no matter what your job is, if you're the laundry room worker, take pride in that. I mean, be the absolute very best you can be in laundry room. People are going to notice that. I mean, people can, that judges a lot by your character by seeing how you do things like that. And, you know, don't make a move just to say you're getting a new job. There's a lot of people that do that. You look at some coaches in their coaching career, they've moved, I mean, 20 to 30 times. Yeah. And yeah. that's ridiculous. I mean, I, a guy moving each year, that, that doesn't paint a good picture in my head. You know, sometimes it's, it's out of their control on that end. They go to a school and they, you know, their head coach gets let go. I understand that part, but there's some that just bounce around just to bounce around and just trying to find the next best thing whenever they don't, you know, want to establish roots and help build onto that program. They just want to go to the next spot so they can say, Hey, I, I moved to another school. Um, you know, not every job is the right job. And, you know, and the thing is do your research on the administration there on the head coach, call people around that know that staff. Make sure you're not going somewhere that's on the hot seat. I mean, there's there's a lot of coaches I've known in the past that have done that. They take a job somewhere where you know that that school has had, you know, some losing seasons in the past, and they're they're on the hot seat. I mean, if y'all don't win big that year, you're gonna be let go, and then you're gonna be searching for a job again a year yeah. from now, and yeah. that just puts so much you know stress on you and on your family, and it's it's a tough deal. You know, talk. You know, the thing. You know, I always talk to people about, especially it's more, you know, for the young coaches, everything is I talk about going to volunteer at UNT. I was working for free at UNT whenever I could have been making money somewhere else. But I knew what that opportunity could lead to. It could lead to bigger things, a defensive graduate assistant opportunity, you know, learning from a new staff, you know, establishing that network, building that network. A lot of that staff that I worked for at UNT, I still talk to to this day and they're spread out around the country. I still talk to them, you know, and that, that's a big thing. I mean, that, in this profession, it's, it's about who, you know, not what you know. And that, that's why you see in this profession coaches going places because they know somebody on that staff. That's how this whole profession works. And, you know, networking, like I said, is the biggest thing, go to the AFCA convention. That's a huge deal. If you're, you know, trying to move up and, and make a move this off season, listen in on the forums, talk to everybody you can develop relationships because in this business, it's about who you know 90% of the time. Relationships are the, are the biggest key of all. And then go to clinics and learn as much ball as possible. And, and not just talking about the position you coach. Learn it all, both sides of the football, because you're not always just going to coach the defensive line. Someday you might be coaching the safe. You might be coaching the offensive line. I mean, I've seen coaches in the past that were at D.C. one year, and then the next year they flip and they're the offensive coordinator. Fair State, uh, Division Two out in Michigan, they've done that quite a bit in the past, I've noticed. So, I mean, it's not always just a position that you're coaching. And then the last one is, you know, looking for the programs who are on the rise. Look for co for those young coaches who are innovative and making noise. You know, look for programs with great culture and great leadership like at Clemson. Dabo Sweeney is the 
the best football coach in the country. You know, Coach Carthel and I got to go out there a couple of years ago to Clemson, and it was a blast. It was a surreal experience getting to see how those guys operate, the culture that they have set there, the leadership. I mean, there's a reason why that team is winning national championships left and right and is going to the college football playoff every single year. It's because of who's leading their program, how they conduct themselves, how their athletes conduct themselves. It's a first-class operation, and you can tell why they are Clemson. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're, we're talking today about uh, you know pass rush progression techni- and, and technique and just developing pass rushers, which is something – uh, that, that you do a lot of there coaching the defensive ends. And uh, so let, let's let's jump into that and, and, and walk us through your process of, of, of developing a pass rusher. You know, when you get that kid on campus, you know, where do you start? What are you teaching about stance and, and get off and keys and moves and et cetera? So what are some things that you do there as far as developing your pass rushers? You know, I think the first thing getting those kids on campus is, you know, is starting right from the basics. You know, everybody always talks about Vince Lombardi. Every single year when he was with the Green Bay Packers, no matter how long those veterans have been there, every year they started from scratch. And that, that's something I've always kind of kept in my toolbox of coaching and everything is I'm going to start from scratch every single year in the summer with these guys talking about stance. And, you know, and, and talking about stance, there's, you, you see it a lot, you know, in college and in high school and everything about kids who weren't taught proper stance to where they can come out and be explosive coming off the edge or if they're playing defensive tackle inside as well. I mean, there's kids that, you know, are coming out in different different type of stances, you know, not correct footing and everything. And that's where I, I mess with my guys and I look at them from day one to see, okay, let's look at your stance right now. Let's see where your feet are. Let's see how high your ass is. And, th- and that's a big, you know, thing with me talking about just the pasture stance. Whenever I'm teaching my guys stance, there's no pasture stance and there's not a run stance. It's one stance only, yeah. and it's a stance to make you the most explosive athlete on the field. I want you coming out of the out of the blocks like you're running at the Texas State track meet. That's the biggest thing of me. I don't care if it's a three- or four-point stance. I want it to be the best stance for you to be comfortable to where you can explode out. You're not taking false steps. You're gaining two to two-and-a-half yards on that first step right off the snap of the football. That's the biggest thing to me. I want you to elongate your stance with your hand out in front of your head. I want your shoulders and your back flat with your tail slightly higher than your helmet. You know, my big thing is having your post foot having 90% of your weight on it. That's a big thing. That way you're not able to fall step. You have to explode off of that foot. There's there's no way that it can move because you have 90% of your weight on the balls of your foot. If your foot's still moving, you have 90% of your weight on it, There, we have bigger problems. And then, yeah. you know, your eyes have got to be on your target. You know, I, I'm a big believer in you should be keying your man's hip. That is my big thing, you know, not looking at the ball. And because if that guy moves early, that's a false start on him. That, yeah. that That's kind of what I've always told my guys is if that guy moves early, hey, that's a penalty on him. But as soon as he moves – you're seeing that hit move. You're firing off the ball. You're going to have a head start on him. You're going to have. You're going to make him have to come out of his stance and be aggressive and lunge out at you. And then you can make him look like a clown throwing him by and getting a sack on the quarterback. Or if it's in the run game as well, you know, getting rid of him, shedding him, and making a play in the backfield for a big TFL. You know, so going back to the stance, you know, I want them to be in a stance where they are going to be explosive, where they can easily come out and not false step. That's the biggest thing to me. I don't try to, 
you know, work it different ways to where they're uncomfortable and where it's, it's hard for them. We work it every day because I believe your pasture stance or not your pasture stance, your stance overall is a huge key into you coming off the football. Because if you're in a lazy stance where both your feet are balanced, you're not going to be able to come off the ball like you need to be. You need to have them elongated. You need to have a heel to toe type of stagger to where you can come off the ball explosive with that inside foot. And, you know, two and two to two and a half yards on that very first step. That's the biggest thing for me, you know, and then after, you know, talking about the stance and everything, you know, you go to the get off keys, you know, talking about get off is key in that, that offensive tackle, that offensive guard, that centers inside hip. You know, if you're playing nose, you can key the ball, then you're right there next to it. But I'm talking about if you're playing the three technique, if you're playing that five, that nine, get your eyes on your man. Either that's a tight end tackle or guard, get it on his outside hip and then key that thing. As soon as that thing moves, you're firing off the ball and you're attacking that guy. You're running past him. That's the biggest thing. We work that all the time in our get off drills is keying the man. I, I won't even have a ball stick out there. Sometimes it'll be me right in front of them and they're keying my hip. And as soon as I move, they're firing off the, off the ball. That's the biggest thing. Look at me. As soon as I move, you move. And you know, the move wise teaching them, you know, from you know, with these young guys from the very beginning, I like teaching them, you know, kind of the big three is, you know, what I talk to them about is just talking about the double swipe. I think that's a extremely simple move. You know, Ohio State calls it the side scissors. I think that's a move that every incoming freshman should be taught just from the simplicity standpoint other than how beneficial it is. It's not something that takes a lot of talent. It just it takes a lot of time and technique you know, working it every single day because you've got to be disciplined to know when to use it and when not to use it. And then talking about the club and the rip and then talking about the long arm. And long arm's my number one favorite move, the speed to power. You see the NFL, that is the most dynamic, dominant move there is right now in the game. And, you know, that's, you know, those are the main three I teach my guys right from the beginning. But, you know, the thing that starts it all off with them as the pass rusher is having a great ball get off. And, you know, we work multiple drills throughout camp, throughout the season on their ball get off. You know, I'll work one where it's talk about keying the man like we had just talked about. We're keying that man's hip. As soon as that guy's hip comes off, we're coming off the ball and we're trying to get to that sweet spot, that four yards mm-hmm. inside of that offensive tackle, that offensive guards inside foot. Because that's the point of where you're having contact with an offensive lineman and you're making a move on him to get to the quarterback. You know, so we'll work that every day, working on both sides, left and right. You know, and then we'll work a close drill to where in that close drill, it's one I had picked up from Oscar Giles a couple of years ago when he was at the University of Houston. You know, it's a very simple one where you're getting a, another defensive lineman in front of him who's acting as an offensive lineman and he's taking a pass set back as fast as he can. It's almost like a straight back pedal for that man, but they're still keying him and he's, they're coming off the ball. As soon as they see those hips moving, seeing that man move, they're firing off and they're, they're long arming him right in the chest and running back. That's a big thing because talking about from a pasture standpoint is let's say you're not going to get to the quarterback. He's throwing the ball. You got to be able to stick your foot in the ground, retrace and run. That's one thing I like to do with those guys, you know, from talking about screens, talking about chasing ball down the field after the QB's thrown it. If, you, if you're not going to get a sack, you better be running down that receiver, that running back who's caught the ball and making a, you know, a great effort play on it down the field. So 
we worked that close drill quite a bit. That offensive lineman, you know, I kind of tell them to backpedal at a 60 to 70 percent type of speed, you know, not going full speed. You don't want to get anybody hurt or anything like that. So they're going 60 to 70 percent. Our defensive lineman is coming off the ball full speed and, and touching them. You know, I, that's a fun drill for the guys to get in. They love competing against each other and, you know, talking to each other and, you know, you know, having jokes and everything. And then the next one, that I'll do is, you know, talking about attacking the hand, you know, and I get two D linemen at the same time and then two old linemen as well. And this is where I'll use the ball stick and I'll have two quarterbacks back there as well. Sometimes I'll get a scout team, two scout team quarterbacks, or I'll just get some other defensive linemen, some younger guys that we've got. And what they'll do is they'll wear a pass rush bullet and they'll wear it on their arms. And what we'll do is we'll get them about four to eight yards apart, the defensive linemen. And what I like to do is I angle both of them at a 45-degree angle pointed at the quarterback, and they're keying the ball for their ball get off. And this is where I'll use the scout team online to sit there and, and set them. And the blindside defensive lineman is exploding off the ball, and he's trying to attack the throwing hand of the quarterback. You know, he's coming in, he's yeah. tomahawking, he's getting that ball out. That's a big deal to me. The face side – D lineman, you know, that side where the quarterback can see you coming, he's bursting full speed as well, but he's working matching the hand technique. Ohio State is that's another big one I picked up from them over the yes. years. Whenever Chris Ash was there, was talking about matching the hand of the quarterback, mirroring the, the throwing hand of him. He's about to release that ball. Your outside hand's coming up right in his face to where you can get a tip. I mean, if you're not able to get a sack, tip that ball. Getting a tipped ball is just as good as getting a sack at the same time because at least either in completion or an interception or something, you know, a big play like that. There's no telling what can happen. So I love working the hands with those guys and being aggressive and attacking the quarterback. I think that's a big deal on getting that mindset of attacking the quarterback constantly in drills. You know, and then what I another thing I like to do from the ball get off standpoint is, you know, just your traditional ball get off. But what I what I'll do is I'll get some resistance bands in there. And it's a little bit of a changeup for those guys having somebody hold them back and they're coming off the ball. And what I'll do is I'll have them come off about five to six yards, full speed, running their hands, running their feet, trying to freaking get to that five to six yards as fast as they can possible with somebody holding them back. And it helps bring that explosiveness from their heads. It's helping them work a little bit harder. And, it's, and, and I've seen it truly make a difference in my guys' ball get off over the years of doing it. There's, you know, we're, we've got a sand pit out here that I haven't got to use yet, but at Commerce, I would get those guys in the sand pit during the summers, during the spring, and we would work that constantly, having that resistance bands on them, coming off the football, working their hands constantly just to build that explosiveness out of their hips and making them quicker off the ball. I think that's a huge, huge deal. You know, and then going into pastures and is talking about the double swipe, as everybody, you know, some people call it side scissors, whatnot, but I feel like the double swipe is a dynamic pass rush move. First, no, first offensive lineman who love to quick set or jump set out at you, or they're just playing, you know, with those high hands. They're, you're playing an offensive lineman who's high setting you the whole time. He doesn't set his hands low. He's setting them high, trying to get right there up on your chest. This move I feel like can work versus offensive linemen who tend to freeze their feet when they see defensive linemen's hands coming or they freeze their feet off shaking. Those D linemen working those shake moves on them. You know, this is one of the first pass moves I love to teach my incoming defensive linemen just because of the simplicity of it. And, you know, working it, 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 it takes time working it, but, you know, kind of the process I talk to them about 
from a step one standpoint is getting a stance that allows you to have great ball get off. And then next, you're keying your offensive lineman, you're getting off the ball. And that third step, you're exploding out vertical, and you're trying to see what kind of set that offensive lineman is giving you. So it'll help you know, am I going to use this move or not? And once you've seen the set you're getting from them, now you can attack with the move. When attacking with the double swipe, we're wanting to attack the lineman when he gives us those high hands. Because if he's giving you low hands, it's not going to work. You're going to give your whole chest up, and he's going to be able to punch you right in the chest and lock you down and and, yeah. and bring you down. We don't yeah. want that. We don't want to get pancaked. We don't get put on our ass. You know, we've got to have active, violent hands that are protecting our inside numbers. Otherwise, we're going to get struck by the lineman and get locked down. And that's one thing I'm telling these guys constantly in the drill is protect your inside number when you're rushing that quarterback. And then our visual key, our aiming point when mastering the double swipe is keying the offense lineman's outside wrist. Look at his wrist tape. Look at his glove straps, the glove logo, whatever, or the lower end of his outside forearm. Look at that. Find your visual key. And then once we focused on our aiming point, that's where we want to attack. Your inside arm is the most important arm when you're attacking with the double swipe because – when you're starting the move, you want to be able to drop your inside arm to go underneath the old lineman's outside arm. And once you clear it underneath, you want to bring that inside arm up quick and establish a 90-degree angle. kind of looks like an L a little bit. And bringing a violent swipe and attacking your aiming point with your wrist or your lower forearm. You know, And then your first step when you're using this move, you've got to have your inside foot attacking vertical. That's the thing yeah. a lot of these kids don't. You know, they can't grasp at the very beginning, but it takes time and time and time. You still see it, on, you know, in on games, on TV, on Sundays and Saturdays. That first step is is extremely important when they're executing this move. And it's got to be playing in the ground. It's got to be balanced. It's got to be ready to get vertical quick with that third step. And then with your outside arm, you've got to be able to bring a quick, violent, short arm club to strike the O-line's outside hand as well. And then bringing power to help open the O-line's shoulders up and create separation is the biggest thing and, and the thing that makes it all happen is your hips your hips throwing them out flipping your hips being able to throw your outside foot on that second step when you're working the move is going to help you bend the edge that that's the closing deal of the whole move of the double swipe is your hips if you don't have fluid hips to where you could be able to flip them then you've got a problem the double swipe isn't going to be a move that's going to be beneficial for these guys. But that's the one thing we work every day is working on their hips, working on flipping their hips because it's an extremely crucial part in their development on bending an edge, just working with the defensive ends and even the defensive tackles as well. You know, and then talking about on that third step, the move's got to come from your inside leg, which is still got to be attacking vertical and gaining ground. Also a short step or non-vertical step is going to hurt your ability to successfully clear the clear the alignment it's going to hurt your path to the quarterback in the time and your four step it's got to be in the ground quickly and you're gaining ground and getting vertical and then the most important step destroy the quarterback get the ball attack the ball knock that ball out bring that guy down get a big time sack win the game and, you know be the hero of the game yeah. seal the deal for him you know the the club rip is you know one i've always really liked and i've i really liked with my inside defensive line when we were at at commerce, I feel like it's one you can use in the run game and the pass game. Constantly, I feel like it's going to be used against offensive linemen who are aggressive, who love to quick set, love to jump set you. I mean, if you can see on film what type of guys are those type of players, and you can game plan that with your guys, hey, this is going to be the move for you this week. Just looking at how this, how aggressive this guy is, 
against guys that are quicker than him. He's or lighter than him. You get some of those lighter defensive linemen in the game. You get those big old linemen who think, "Oh man, if I get my hands on him, he's done. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come out right from the gate and lock his ass down." No, yeah. that's where the club and the rip is the best thing because working that club and the rip, you're able to off balance the offensive linemen and open their shoulders to help get you across their body. Yeah, the most important things when using that club and rip is having great slant footwork. And we worked that quite a bit every single day with my guys, you know, work, working on having quick twitch with your hips, having a powerful club, a violent rip and bending. And most of all, a great ball get off is going to set you up for success with the club and the rip. Your ball get off is going to help you make all your sacks. Most of the time, if you're getting two to two and a half yards in the backfield every single time, you're going to have success on your pass rush, no matter what move, you work because that offensive lineman isn't, isn't planning on you coming off the ball that fast and gaining that much ground, you know, and the the next one is, is the long arm. You know, the long arm is one I've, I've studied a lot over the years. I've talked to some of the best defensive line coaches in the game from a college standpoint, from the, from the pros and everything talking about just the technique of it. What are they can, you know, and I've talked to, Eric Anderson, he's a friend of mine. He's the Rams defensive line coach right now, and he's with the Chargers with Joey Bosa. And I've talked to Coach Johnson as well at Ohio State a little bit. Um, Brick Haley as well. You know, they've talked to me about the long arm and, you know, just the placement of it. And I think it's very simple for any defensive lineman to master. You know, it doesn't matter if you're super strong or you're super fast. I think everybody can be able to you know, work the long arm, just depending on the placement of it. And you getting off the football is the biggest thing, working that speed off the ball, making that offensive lineman think you are speed rushing, you're trying to run past him. That's the biggest thing because if you can get that offensive lineman to turn his shoulders to where he's perpendicular, he's turned his shoulders completely, you're going to be able to open the gate by locking out that inside arm on his inside breastplate. He can't brace for it at all. If you look at it on film, look at Joey Bosa, look at Khalil Mack, and watch that offensive lineman. Watch how they're set. And as soon as they turn their shoulders, it's over with because they're placing that inside arm locked out on that inside breastplate, that offensive lineman, and they're able to lock them out, and they're able to knock them back. And they're they're basically on one foot after that because they can't brace with their inside foot at all. Right. And their outside foot can anchor constantly. It can, It can take you around the world. But that inside foot, it's stuck in cement right there. It, it, there's nowhere it can go at all. So that's something I talk to my guys constantly about is, you know, working a three to four type of step progression on it. If you are able to get that offensive lineman to turn his shoulders right there at that point of three to four, you've got him right in the perfect spot. As soon as you see his shoulders turn, that's where you've got to be keying that inside breastplate and you're locking out that arm, bringing your hips, bringing your power locking him out and throwing him by. And it, it's been one that, you know, I've really studied over the last couple of years and we've been working it more and more and hell when we were at commerce, that was one of the best moves I had for one of my defensive tackles who was five foot eight, 310 pounds. And he had short arms. He looked like a T-Rex sometimes. I mean, <laughs> he was awesome at the long arm. And that's, that's a guy you, you're like, man, this guy shouldn't be working that long arm. He, that, that's not, shouldn't be in his toolbox, but he was phenomenal at it. Yeah. He did a great job at it. He practiced it constantly because I guess he probably wanted to prove me wrong at the end of the day. Yeah. On honestly, yeah. because I always called him a T-Rex all the time. But, uh, but no, I, I think that's one that is extremely crucial for young defensive linemen to do is just working that ball get off getting into the backfield that two two and a half yards on that first step 
And on that third or fourth step, depending on how you're timing it up, how your coach teaches you it, if you can get that offensive lineman to turn his shoulders, that's when you've got to be able to lock that arm out and throw that offensive lineman by or just completely run him over completely. Yeah, that, That's the biggest thing. And you, you'll see it, it'll work. It doesn't matter how strong you are. We've got, you know, in the past I've had defensive linemen that are, you know, 215 pounds going against a 315-pounder, and they're running over that guy who outweighs him by 100 pounds and is yeah. three inches taller than him. It does not matter. Yeah. How strong you are. It's all about leverage how and how you are able to place your hands and take take them out because they're they're limited. They can't do anything about it. Their body can only do so much and they can't brace for that impact you're bringing to that inside shoulder. And it's it's been one that has been really good to us over the years and that's one I've I've taught for a long time to my guys just because of the simplicity of it. You know, everybody sees all the moves on d-line vids and everything all the spin moves and all these other flashy moves i'm not all about that i'm all about the simple ones that i feel like anybody can do because at the at the college level and even at the high school level you're not going to get kids that can do all those fancy moves there's some kids that are limited in ability to where you know they're not as fluid as some kids are a little bit stiffer so you've got to be able to manage your toolbox around what their strengths are yeah i mean i can't tell a kid who isn't able to bend the edge as well as somebody else. Hey, speed is speed is what you're going to work. No, I mean, he's not able to bend an edge free. He's not going to be able to get past the offensive lineman right at that set point of that four yards of that inside foot. I mean, you're going to need this guy to be a power rusher or be great with his hands working, you know, speed to power working, you know, bull and pull stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just like if you're dealing with a kid who's six foot five, 210 pounds, you're not going to tell us got to be a bull rusher. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. Exactly. He's going to run into a brick wall 70 times a game and, and get stoned, you know, more yeah. than 75% of the time. Yeah. So you've mentioned, uh, you know, your primary rushes that you're teaching your guys uh, long arm, club and rip, and, and, and the double swipe. Uh, talk about counters. What counter moves do you teach your guys uh, off of those? And, and when are they countering? You know, what do you coach them up as far as that goes? You know, with, you know, with talking about the speed rush and everything, you know, coming off of that, you know, because just like I said, there's some kids to where, you know, they, they don't feel comfortable doing that long arm. And that's something you can't force the kid into at times. But what, what I like to do with them, you know, talking about the counters and everything, just from, a, you know, coming off the ball speed technique is they'll work, you know, the speed chop. That's a big thing that kids love to do and, I think if you can find kids that are able to master it, it's, it's huge. And it's all about reading that offensive lineman set and how his hands are. If you're playing an offensive lineman that's got high hands, working the chop, it, it's not gonna it's not gonna happen. If you're playing an offensive lineman who's playing with low hands, okay, now you're cooking. You've got something going because you're able to chop the hand down and you're able to drop that shoulder and bend that edge around that offensive tackle, that offensive guard, whoever it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you know, working that, and I think. The you know I think the speed to power is a true counter move at the end of at the end of the day and that's you know one we talk about quite a bit is you know working I'll we'll work a spin move here and there but whenever I'm teaching the spin move it is more off of you know they're taking you past quarterback level yeah they have completely yeah. overset yeah. you you're getting you're getting you're basically you're running the hoop is what I tell my guys all the time you're not doing us any good because that quarterback's able to step up. And there's nobody in his face at all. You're yeah. you're blocking yourself at the end of the day. You know when you're getting past the quarterback level because that offensive lineman he's already turned his shoulders, and he's just 
pressing you forward. He's pressing you back, 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 and that quarterback stepping up. You know when you're getting past that level, that quarterback's going to step up. When you feel that, that offensive lineman's got all of his weight on his on his outside foot, and he's pressing it. That's when you've got to be able to feel it, and you've got to be able to spin back, and you're going to be right there in the face of the quarterback or right behind him, and you're going to be able to come up on top of him and get a big sack or cause you know, an incompletion, cause an interception, cause a tip ball. It doesn't matter. You know, you're going to be right there to make a play on him. Let's say he's starting to scramble. You're going to be able to trip him up. So it's all about seeing them overset you and seeing them set you so far back, and they're just going to start taking you around the hoop. Don't let that happen. Stick that foot in the ground and spin back. And don't. And here's the thing that, that you see all these kids on Twitter, and, and it's been my players as well over the couple of years. I mean, spinning in the same spot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's I call it a barber pole, and I'm like, okay, that, you're not doing anything there at all. And then that offensive lineman's able to retrace, and he's able yep. to get his hands back on it because you just spun in the same spot. And whenever you spin, you got to be able to throw your leg back. You've got to be able to throw that ice pick on that offensive lineman because here's the thing. If that offensive lineman's driving you backwards, all of his weight is in a different spot to where he's off balance. If you spin, you might even be able to throw him on the ground by ice picking him and push him against his weight. His momentum is going forward, and you're going a different direction whenever you counterspin back, and boom, you're right there where the quarterback is making a sack yep. or you know, causing him not to be able to scramble. You know, I, I would rather take a tackle for two yards than a guy scrambling for 48 or throwing a big ball down the field for a touchdown. I mean, Yeah, exactly. So, and you look at it, and that's a, that's a big thing I see a lot with – high school kids on tape and it's the same with our guys that I coach here. You know, I talk to them about it all the time. I mean, you're just running by this guy thinking you've got the quarterback. No, an offensive lineman in a game is going to just drive you back into the concessional stand. I yeah. mean, you're not causing any pressure to that quarterback at all. That's where you've got to be able to counter back inside and make a move, you know, and then talking about the counters as well as the throw by, you know, working that hump move that Reggie White was so great at. Oh yeah. I mean that that's a big one that you know some of the, half the kids that I I coached this year they didn't even know who Reggie White was when I first got here and I mean it was jaw dropping I was like okay we we've got to stop right here we're we're done watching any film of what we did yesterday in practice we're gonna watch some Reggie White tape and that's what we did and like man that movie he makes coach that that thing's awesome how do how do we do that I'm like are you all kidding me this is this is textbook stuff. I mean, just look at it. Look how simple of what he's doing. It's all about that offensive lineman, lineman turning his shoulders. Yeah. And he's throwing him by. He's seeing that inside foot. Can't go anywhere. Yeah. They've turned those shoulders, and he he's throwing him by. What Reggie, Reggie White's working is a long arm at the end of the day. He might not be locking it out yeah. like we're teaching these days now, but he, what he's doing from the throw-by standpoint is that. Yeah. I'm like, guys, it, it's not something that's just we've never seen or done before, and it's it's his only move, and it's his only that nobody else can do. No, everybody's been doing it for a long time. Look at it. Look at the comparisons from what Khalil Mack's doing for the Bears, and look at what Reggie doing. It's the same thing. It's just something back in the And the run game is where we did it the most. You know, I picked up this twist game from North Dakota State, who's been doing it, I mean, since 2010, I believe, is whenever this whole dynasty of theirs started up. You know, if you watch them on, on tape, they don't have the biggest defensive lineman in the world either. They're playing with guys that are 270, 265. And, but the thing about them is they're so technically sound. They're so athletic and quick, and they run the, these twist games constantly. You watch them. You're going to watch them on Saturday versus James Madison. You will see their interior twist game versus those zone and power schemes 
probably about 10 to 12 times in the game. And it's just natural. And that's, you know, I picked it up from them back in 2015 after our 2015 season. I, I studied a lot of North Dakota State film with our DC. He's at uh, Incarnate Word now, Justin Deason. We, we studied a lot of North Dakota State film, and we noticed how beneficial it was in the run game for him, how it messed up offensive linemen, and how easy it was to help keep these liar defensive linemen stay alive because it keep, it gets the offensive linemen off their tracks for one. And movement causes confusion for the old linemen in the run game and in pass protection. In the run game, it's helping keep your linebackers clean. And the, th- and the thing is, if you're able to run it correctly, one or two of those linebackers are going to come free on to, to be able to make a play on the ball carrier. And it's a nice changeup from playing just straight base defense to where those old, old linemen are able to come off and tee off on those lighter defensive linemen, you know, that they've got outweighed by, you know, 40 to 80 pounds, depending on, you know, where you're at, you know, and and the production of the twist while I was there at commerce was really big for us. I mean, we were able, you know, we did it 84 times in 2016 versus the run. And, you know, those 84 times we did it, the offense got 220 yards and it was 2.6 yards per carry. I mean, it was huge for us. And if you're able to hold a, offense to 2.6 yards per carry in the run game you're doing something right and then from a pasture standpoint we did it we called it 43 times that season and we had seven sacks off of it and then two were picks we had 16 incompletions off of it and then they they had three touchdowns off of it but you look at the two two interceptions the seven sacks and the 16 incompletions you can tell that was huge for us from how we were on defense that year. It was a big part of what we did. And then in 2017, when we won the national championship. We ran it even more and it was big time for us just because of the guys that we had. We had these light athletic guys who could move around and were technically sound at it to where it was beneficial for us. And in the pastors game, I think it, it is crucial to use it just because it's a change up. You know, not yeah. a lot of people do it here and there. I mean, you've got to be able to diagnose the protection to the T yeah. to where you yeah. know when to run it and when not to. Yeah. Because you, you don't want to run the twist game whenever they're running stretch. If you're playing a stretch team, this is not the time to work those twist games with those inside guys because you're going to create a lot of open gaps and you're going to get cut off somewhere and there's going to be two big gaps to where they can hit a bomb, you know, for 80 yards. You don't want that running back hitting an 80 yarder on you. That's yeah. the most embarrassing feeling as a coach. <laughs> yeah. You know that, you know, but, you know, practicing the twist where we're working those, I mean, we do with the backs opposite away from you and you're that shake, you know, okay, the zone's coming at me. Yeah. I'm going to be getting that double team. Well, that three technique can play a little bit tighter and he knows where that back is. He knows, okay, he's a deep back. I know they're going to be running zone. And that's where the coaching comes into factor as well. We've got to be able to prep, prep these guys for success and tell them, Hey, this is where they're going to be running inside zone a ton. You see a deep back set backs on your side, you know, zones coming downhill at that shade. You're going to be the penetrator. And that nose is that shade is going to be the wrapper. Yeah. And so we would work that constantly. And I mean, when you're bringing that, that penetrator, he's taking out two people at the end of the day, he's taking out that guard and he's taking out that center. And yeah. that wrapper is coming clean because that other guard is still attached to that three technique or that two eye, whatever you're doing it with. And that wrapper is coming scot free right at where that back's trying to cut it back. Yeah. And yeah. you've got a guy right there wait for him to freaking crush him. And it's awesome. And, and the thing I love doing it with the DTs 
was be violent and attack the center. I mean, you ain't going to get in trouble for obliterating this guy. That That's the thing I, may, I try to make it fun for the guys was in those games is, I mean, it's a time to be physical and, and get after this guy. And there, and we had a lot of really good centers in the Lone Star Conference, and and uh, it was fun, you know, watching those guys master it and, and get after people. And, and it messed with some offensive lines over the years, and you could tell it – it, may, it was a huge impact for us in the game. I told you statistically, and it, it was a great job, you know, that our guys did. Those defensive tackles there, they bought into it and they loved it, and it became a part of our system and a big reason why we were successful on defense as well. And then, you know, the DNs wise, whenever we had those interior twists called, we were telling them, hey, you were setting the edge. You were a straight edge pass rush right here. You're not working inside move at all because you don't know where that rapper's coming. Right. I mean, I don't. I don't want you making an inside move, and then we have a rapper coming the same gap as you, and boom, y'all are hitting each other, and we're and y'all are both falling down. Well, we just lost two rushes just like that. Yeah. We don't need that. Yeah. I need four guys pass rushing right now, not two. So, you know, that's one thing that we worked with them, and you know, we canceled the twist versus the stretch. And you know, the thing is, when we canceled it, we were able to do that by seeing what the back set was. Right. Right. Most of the time, you're seeing it either out of the pistol. Under center, depending on what they do. And then if it's shotgun, you're seeing that running back more in front of the quarterback. You know, okay, they're not, it's hard to run zone out of that. It's hard to run power as well. And I sure think they're going to be running more of an outside zone type scheme where they're going to be running stretch. Hey, let's cancel a twist versus be ready to go and just play your gap. Yeah. Yeah. That's something we, it took a lot of time to work, you know, and then, you know, just the footwork standpoint, you know, we talked about having a balanced stance at that point because you never know which foot you're going to be stepping with because whenever you're that, you're a two eye, you're a three, it's more likely going to be your inside foot. So what we did was we just said, hey, we're going to balance your foot. We're going to have not a lot of weight on that, on that hand that's down, your down hand, yeah. and work in that center. And that way you're able to be balanced and you're able to step correctly and attack that center and be able to you know, penetrate or wrap, whatever your job was. And, and it was big for us. And in the pastures game, I would try to tell them, you know, it was a third and eight, we're running. Okay. Right here. Let's get some heel to toe stagger. Let's get an explosive stance right here because you know, they're going to be vertical setting, you know, they're pass setting right here because it's third and eight right here. They're a 98% passing team on third, third and eight plus. So that's where we'd tell them, and that would be something we'd study throughout the week, and that's something I'd teach them on is, okay, hey, right here, we can get in a more explosive stance because whenever you're working that twist game, it's going to be deeper versus that vertical set of theirs. You're not right. going to be doing it right at the line of scrimmage like you would in the run game because right. in the run game, that center's coming out at your vertical. And the pass rush, you know, in pass protection, he's taking vertical sets back waiting for you to come to him. Yeah. So it's going to be happening a little bit differently. So that's why we change up the footwork depending on are we calling it versus pass rush? Are we calling it for the run game? And that's that's something that you've got to teach your guys, you know, throughout the week on. And our guys were really, really smart. And, you know, we we studied that with them a lot and we taught them that. And there was stuff that they knew, you know, come, come Saturday yeah. what they were doing. So, so let me make sure I have this correct. So, on your on your your run twist games, um, mm-hmm. are you're not calling it uh, which guy is going first? It's all dependent upon what the center's doing. So, correct. When, when, it, it's a true it's a true read. Yeah. is what it is for them. They are, yeah. it, there's no saying not or ton. Yeah. It is. 
it's a different word. You know, we had different words called for it in the past and everything, but I, those 2D tackles, your key is the center. You don't get, you don't care about the guards at all. The yeah. guards are invisible for all I care. Your key in that center is outside hip, and your eyes are on him. Right from the snap, both of y'all's eyes are on him. And if that center's coming out to you, you're attacking him with hands, and you're waiting for that penetrator to come. Basically, it's just like working a pick and roll in basketball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's setting up a screen for you, and boom, he's knocking him out, and you're wrapping around vertical. And it's important for that wrapper to lock out on that center, to hold him up, to give you that to get that penetrator a kill shot yeah. to ear hole that center to eliminate him to where that rapper comes free to make a play on the running back. It, and it works. I've, I've got multiple clips. I can send anybody that ever wants to see it versus zone scheme versus, you know, gap scheme. And then versus stretch, it, it's not going to work. It, it's not, you've got to be <laughs> yeah. able to be disciplined to stay your yeah. gaps and yeah. work down the line and, and make that, that running back cut it back right where your defensive tackles are right where your DN is coming down the heel line and we're making a TFL in the backfield. Yeah. yeah it's interesting. We've always done uh, knots and tons like you, as you mentioned, uh, mm-hmm. but, but I like the idea of, of, uh, because then, because then basically you're not, you're never wrong. Uh, and, right. and I, and I would imagine that, you know, that, that sounds maybe for some guys listening to this who don't do this on a regular basis, it sounds really scary putting it all in the guy's hands like that to make that decision. But a lot of that, you know, it comes with film study and reps and they probably have a pretty good idea of where that center is going to be headed anyway, based on what their formation is that they're seeing. Right. And, and the biggest thing coach that, you know, I honestly, I would just, what it almost came down to simplifying even more for the guys was look at the back. Yeah. What side is the back on and look how deep he is or look how flat he is. Yeah. That, that was a big thing I would study throughout the week is how deep do their running backs get? You know, when they're super deep, what is their top run plays? More likely it's zone. It's inside zone is what it is. So we knew, you know, what I teach those guys, we, we were big two, two eyes when we were at commerce and we do some three technique here and there, two eye and a three, but most of the time it was two, two eyes. And I teach those guys, okay, if the back's away from you, Inside zone is coming at you. They're coming downhill, trying to move you off the ball, dominate you. So you automatically know, hey, I'm the rapper right here. Yeah, I'm I'm attacking that center. I already know my job is I'm the rapper. And then if you're that you're that defensive tackle on the same side of the back, you are automatically know most of the time, hey, I'm the penetrator right here. But at the same time, like you said, coach, it is all based off a of film study. Because there's some, you know how offenses are these days. They're changing constantly. They're seeing how to attack you, how to exploit you. And you go against a guy like Lincoln Riley who studies film, you know, all hours of the night. That guy's going to have a plan. He's going to know how y'all are teaching that. He's going to be able to see, okay, this is how we get these guys in a bind and how we can mess them up in their twist game. Yeah. And, that, yeah. and you know, the, I tell you, a team that did a great job to us, you know, back when I was at Commerce was Midwestern State, Adam Austin and, and Alex Heron, the OC and offensive line coach there, they did a great job game planning us whenever we were big into the twist game, and they shut us down multiple times from a pass rush standpoint, and then in the run game as well, they fooled us a couple times and had the best of us, so you know, you got to be able to adapt and see that on the sideline, okay, this is what we've got to change on now, because they have an answer for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great stuff, Coach, and I, and I like that. You know, 
especially because you, you know you're, you're talking to a lot of high school coaches who are dealing with undersized linemen and, and they're trying to yeah. figure out you know how do I how do I maximize these guys' abilities and and allow them to be successful against against guys who are bigger than them and stronger than them and and I think you know twisting is a great way to do that and, and I think a lot of us uh, can sometimes think that twist games are, are just for uh, you know, pass rushing or third third down situations, but like you said, they're they're they, they're really uh, effective against the run as far as eating up those interior gaps and mm-hmm. and and is really something that that uh, again that works well for guys who are, are dealing with uh, defensive linemen that may not as be as big or strong. Yeah, no, I, I think it's crucial. You know, and I'll tell people, you know, I'll tell coaches this as well. I mean, don't don't call these twist games whenever you're playing a team that's, you know, heavy 22 personnel, 12. I mean, whenever we were doing this coach, we were doing it versus, you know, a 10, 11 to 20 personnel type team, because, you know, it gets a little messy whenever you get some bigger boys in there and it's more downhill football. You want it to be a little bit more spread out whenever you're doing this. I mean, so that's one thing you want to do it versus those spread type teams that are heavy inside zone. And stuff like that. That was the thing we game plan. I mean, we would check out of it whenever, you know, we were playing a 21 type team or a 22 or a 13. I mean, if we saw something like that, I mean, we would cancel and we would just play base. Yeah. yeah. Because you don't want it to get messy because, I mean, there's times where they get you in the wrong call. I mean, it's an 80-yard touchdown like yeah. we talked about. Yeah, and nobody right. wants that. So, yep. you know, we saw that a couple of times. And that's, you know, that's why we said, hey, we're going to run this for certain personnels and, for certain teams so and i think whenever coaches are doing this in practice it, it's it's got to be practiced every single day for about 20 minutes a day i mean i know 20 minutes is um is a long time whenever you're looking at the amount of you know individual time that you get you know especially with schools like where you're at you're doing you know uh both side practices you're yeah. having split practices but yeah. one sets offense one sets defense you don't yeah. have a lot of time to do all this but I think this is something you can do even with pads off yeah. with the guys. And I think it's crucial that you do it with bodies. Don't do it just pop-ups. Do it with bodies. That way they're seeing a read on it. They're seeing a human coming out at them. They're working their hand placement. They're striking somebody. They're they're hitting that, you know, that ear hole. They're, they're working that penetrator, you know, who's coming for that outside shoulder, that center, knocking him back. I mean, it's crucial to work on the footwork, work on the hand placement, work on the eyes. I mean, the eyes is huge on having your visual key, seeing what that center is actually doing. Yeah. So I, yeah. I think that's something that you've got to be able to do constantly every single day. Yeah. And, and I think if you've got undersized players, this is a thing that you need to be working a lot because you're able to keep those young, those young lighter guys alive versus yeah. big boys. And yeah. it's a change up for those big boys that they don't see that a lot. Yeah. And movements mess with their head. That's they, right. they struggle with movements, and that's where you you've got to be able to maximize and use it. That's why the best team in the country in Division One AA they run it still to this day, just like they've been doing the last ten years, and they are dynamite at it. And that's North Dakota State, and they don't have some monsters that you see at the University of Texas at A and M on the D line form. They're playing with corn fed boys from Iowa who weigh 260, 270 and they're just hard nosed and they are straight technicians and they are physical and athletic and they just do their job. And that's why, you know, people only run for about 80 yards on the ground against them. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, coach, great stuff today. As we get ready to close this thing out, let's, let's talk a little bit about, uh, some geographical differences that you've noticed coming from, 
you know, a small town, like you mentioned at the top of the show, small town up in the Panhandle uh, down to East Texas. What's been the biggest adjustment you've had to make when coming out here to East Texas? You know, you've been here the last two coaching stops here at Commerce and at Nacogdoches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of difference. I, I love back home and everything, but, I mean, getting to be around trees and water and, and the color of green was the biggest change for me, you know, coming from East, Te- you know, coming from the Panhandle here to East Texas, you know, out in the Panhandle. It's very dry. It's very windy. It's very flat. And uh, there's not a lot of color around there. There's yeah. very little yeah. water up there. And that, you know, and that's kind of the joke I always make. Coach Carthel and I make, you know, from the just the geographical changes from the panhandle to here. I mean, it's, it's beautiful up here. And I love back home, but East Texas, just the beauty of it, the trees and everything. I mean, around here in Nacogdoches, there's so many trees around here. There's so many you know, lakes and stuff like that to where you can go fishing. We've got ponds on campus that our players love to go fishing at. And it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of hunting areas around here as well. And there's a lot of hunting areas around the Panhandle as well and everything. And, you know, I, I love going back home. I don't miss the wind whatsoever. I don't miss how dry it was. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. getting used to the rain here in East Texas, it's it's ridiculous at times. I mean, it's almost like it's Seattle. Yeah. that rains so much and that's why it's so green and, and everything because all the rain they get on like yeah. you know the panhandle but you know you got to carry an umbrella around constantly because it's pouring most of the time i mean it's hard to even grow grass in the backyard of my house because my dogs have just gotten have just torn up the grass because it's always muddy all the yeah. time and running yeah. around so it's hard to get that grass growing a bit but you know i think you know if you're talking from a recruiting standpoint as well you know, I think there's a lot more athletes around this area, you know, of East Texas. But I also think, you know, the Panhandle, there's athletes as well, but they're so spread out right, from right. an area standpoint. It's hard for coaches to get out to all those schools. I mean, when you're going to Amarillo and everything like that, it's far away from, you know, let's say you're at TCU and you want to go see a kid in Amarillo. Yeah, you could fly there, but I mean, not everybody has the capability of flying to places. Some people have to drive and that's a six hour drive. And it's, yeah. It's yeah. tough to go out and see just, you know, a couple kids out there whenever you can drive to DFW or East Texas or Houston or Louisiana and you can see a handful of kids in a day yeah. and be in and be in one area. Right. I mean in right. a thirty mile radius you're able to see a hundred kids. I mean, that's just that's part of it. But you know what from a food standpoint, what I'll talk about is I, I get to eat a lot more Cajun food than what I did in the panhandle. And yeah. I love Cajun food and that's a lot of fun. I mean, so there's a lot of there's a lot of different, you know, things about the Panhandle to here East Texas that, you know, have been a big change for us and and everything. But I imagine Coach Carthel would say the exact same. But they're both great places with great people and I've been very blessed to be a lot of really good places. And I, I love East Texas. I've been in East Texas, like you said, the last five years, and it's it's been a lot of fun. I, I really enjoy it, and the people are great, and it's, it's beautiful. I mean, our campus is one of the best campuses I've seen you know, across the country from just the beauty of it and how much renovation they're doing and all the trees around here just make it even more prettier than a lot of other places. So it's been, it's been good and I really enjoy where I live. And I think a lot of our, our student athletes love it as well, just because it's a great place to be and it's beautiful. I mean, there's some schools out there in the country that aren't in the greatest spots and you know, it's not as pretty as what we're blessed with here at SFA. Yeah. Well, Coach, we'll get you out here on this. We've been closing out our episodes uh, this year with 
giving some shout-outs to, to coaches who may not always get uh, credit or the spotlight. So I want to uh, give you a, an opportunity to do that before we, uh, before we get you out of here. So just shout-out some guys that, that either you work with currently or have worked with in the past who are doing a great job. Yeah, uh, you know, the people I, I think I would like to, you know, tell a good job to, and I try to as much as I can, is, you know, our, our young coaches that we have, our GAs, our QCs, our student assistants here at SFA do a phenomenal job from, you know, doing academic checks on our guys, you know, making sure they're in class, you know, setting up drills, you know, taking, you know, doing film breakdown and, and helping out in the recruiting aspect of everything. And I think they do a great job, and a lot of them, you know, are getting their, their feet wet and from the coaching standpoint of, you know, getting to be hands-on and teaching kids and everything and talking to kids during meetings on what to see. And I, I feel like they do a great job and their futures are really bright. And I love getting to work with them every day. We have a lot of fun cutting up and, and, and being around each other all the time. And, you know, um, some people, you know, that I really respect a lot off staff wise, I don't think get enough credit is uh, the staff that, uh, Mary Harden Baylor, you know, Coach Lee, Coach Harmon, Coach Carey, Coach Redenberg, I think they do a great job over there, and they've won, you know, two back-to-back national titles. I know this year they, they didn't make it back, but they, uh, they've they done a great job over there building a powerhouse, and they play really good football, especially if you're a big, you know, defensive guy. Mary Harden Baylor's playing some really good football. They allow, I think it's 11 points per game this past year. And there's, I think the year before or back in 17, they were allowing like seven points per game. So they play really good defensive football. They're extremely well coached. They're great people to go clinic with and talk to. And I think there's that stigma of, okay, they're division three. They're not big time football. You know how some coaches are. I'd rather go visit the university of Texas than Mary Harden Baylor because, Oh, Texas is, Big time D1. I mean, ball is ball at the end of the day, and that's some people don't understand that at times. I mean, it, it doesn't matter the level. Ball is ball. Scheme is scheme. I mean, it's everywhere. Yeah, so, you're right. I mean, good football is everywhere, and go go embrace those opportunities. Go learn from everybody. I mean, our defensive coordinator here is, is a genius. I mean, I, I've learned so much from him over the past couple of years, and he started off as a, a, def- a Division three football coach. And now he's an FCS defensive coordinator, and yeah. he's a guy that I, I think very highly of who I think can be at the highest level possible coaching someday and being a defensive coordinator, how smart he is and how well he knows the game. And he came from Division three, So I really don't think, I mean, that stigma, what everybody says, I, I don't think that's true. I think there's great coaches everywhere, and I love learning from anybody at any level because I, if I'm able to pick something up, even just one little thing from you, that's a big – big deal to me i'm always trying to learn as much as i can from anybody yeah that's going to help my players and help myself out as well coach fosky great point and great stuff today uh, i burned up a notepad uh you know writing down all these things and and for those of you guys listening i'll put out uh the notes that i took on today's episode uh, out on twitter and also i'll put some stuff i have some stuff in the show notes for you if you missed uh, anything and 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 we'll also have Coach Fosky's contact information in the show notes, so make sure you check that out uh, if you want to get a hold of him. Coach Fosky, thanks so much for coming on and sharing with us. Really enjoyed it and, and learned a ton, and really just want to wish you the the best of luck this off season and 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 on into next season. I appreciate it. Thanks, Coach. Thanks once again to Coach Fosky for stopping by today. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter at Coach Fosky. That's at Coach F A S K E. And for notes on today's show and other great content throughout the week, make sure you follow our show on Twitter as well, and that's at KYPD Podcast. 
Also, be sure to check out the show notes for this episode for Coach Foskey's email address. And if you liked what you heard today, give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. Help us spread the word about this podcast. Before we get to our quote of the day, I do want to recognize the fact that uh, today is the day that we have set aside to honor the life and the work of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. You know, clearly, we have a lot of work to do in our country as far as carrying out the vision of Dr. King, which I think is why our jobs as coaches is so important. You know, we have the power to positively impact the lives of our players as we work together, despite our, our political differences, socioeconomic backgrounds, color of our skin. Despite all those things, we work together for a common goal, which hopefully for, for all of us coaches is much bigger than just winning a game. You know, eventually there won't be any more games to prepare for or play, but the struggles of this life will continue, and, and when they come, it should be our goal to equip our players with the ability to lean on each other in those moments and, and, and work together and see each other as brothers and, and treat those around us with dignity and respect and love. With that being said, our quote of the day says, let the light that shines in you be brighter than the light that shines on you. Be sure to check back with us next week when we kick off a series of episodes featuring high school coaches whose teams won a state championship in 2019. Really excited about that. We have an outstanding lineup of coaches coming up uh, in the next uh, month or so. So make sure you're tuning in. Make sure you're subscribing so you never miss an episode. Until then, coaches bring the juice this week. And always remember, keep the pads down.